Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are continuing our sermon series titled New, which is taking us through the book of Ephesians. Caleb will be looking at the text Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and will be focusing on the theme of the new walk. Caleb looks at how God is the initiator, and our walk is in response to what he has already done. Then we explore what it looks like to walk with God, a walk that is marked by obedience, putting trust in the Father, and following the path of the cross. And we find when we walk this walk, we can find rest, and we become more like Jesus. Good morning, friends. Um, We've been studying the book of Ephesians now. We are just over about halfway through. Um, The book has really been coming to life for me, and I hope that you have had a similar experience. Um, But before we jump in today, would you uh, join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, your presence is already here. Lord Jesus, you are a living person. You are a reality to be experienced. You're not an idea, you're not a theory, you're not just a historical figure. You live on today through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we need to encounter you so that we can live this life that you've called us to, so that we can represent you to a broken world uh, and carry your love um, and experience it and and touch it and taste it. So Lord, as, as we discuss Ephesians chapter four today. Would our awareness of your presence here this morning be increasing uh, as I speak? And Lord, would you meet with us today? You long to speak to us in the secret place of our heart. Each person here, you have something to say this morning. So Lord, would you come and speak with us? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So far in our study through Ephesians, we have talked about our new position in Christ, how we have been united to Christ through the Holy Spirit and seated with him in a heavenly place. We talked through the new gift of God's grace. It's his unmerited favor, and it frees us from the need to compete and fight and divide ourselves from each other. And we've talked about the new strength that is being offered to us in Jesus, the strength of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Katie and Renus uh, led us through a Lectio practice, and we heard the prayer of Paul praying that we would be strengthened in our inner being through the Holy Spirit. And these ideas sum up the doctrinal or the theological section or half of Ephesians. And now in chapter four, we're gonna shift our attention from talking about what God has initiated and what God has done for us into what we can do as a response with our lives. And so there's a shift from meditating on what God has done towards considering our response. And so we've been talking about in Ephesians how these things that belong to Jesus, his position, his his gift, his strength, these things now belong to us. They're our inheritance as his church. And so today we want to look at what does it mean to inherit his walk, the new, a new walk, the walk of Jesus. And so I want to start us in chapter 4, 
and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I will pick it up at the end of the chapter as well, Um, and we'll just read verses 31 and 32. If you want to follow along with me, I'm reading from the ESV. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Uh, Paul is reminding us that he's in jail at the time of writing this. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then just quickly, uh, verses 31 and 32 at the very end. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's a lot of amazing truth in Ephesians chapter four and I wish we could cover it all. But this morning I really wanna focus on verse one. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul is directing us backwards first. He's directing us back to everything that we've been studying over the last three weeks. Back toward the reality of our new position the new gift and the new strength we've already received. And now he's calling us to live and walk in a manner that's worthy of these gifts. And so the word walk gets used a lot in the Hebrew scriptures and in the New Testament. And it's talking about a rhythm to our lives or a cadence. It's how we carry ourselves in the world. It's how we conduct our affairs. It's how we behave and how we interact with ourselves, others, and also God's creation. And so there's a natural built-in rhythm to life in the world that God has made. So think about your heartbeat. You could feel it right now. There's a rhythm. There's a cycle or a cadence that's built in to the fabric of life. And we all grow with this rhythm in our mother's womb. And it actually brings us great comfort. I remember when May was very small, we had a, a noise machine for her, and one of the options was the sound of a heartbeat. And it would comfort her and help her fall to sleep. Now, this rhythm or cycle is made really plain to us in the creation story in Genesis. So I'll remind you of this. After God's, God creates, the text says there was evening and then there was morning. There was evening, and then there was morning. The first day, the second day, the third day. Evening and then morning. It's a repeated pattern. It's a rhythm. And this is really important because it's built in to the Hebrew understanding of the world. And this this belief is that um, the day actually begins in the evening. It begins at night. So Sabbath dinner is Friday night because that's when the day begins. And so in this view, the creative activity of God, what God is doing in the world, always precedes 
or comes before any sort of human activity. And so God is working while we rest at night. And then we wake up and we get to respond to what he's been doing. So the intended rhythm for life in God's world looks like this. God initiates and we respond. And in this rhythm is our walk. It's our response to God. It's how we live reflecting the reality of who God is to the world around us. So Ephesians and many of the New Testament letters are also structured with this rhythm. So chapters one to three, we've talked about what God has initiated in the world through Jesus. And in four to six, we're gonna talk about how we respond to that reality. We are created and designed as human beings to walk with God. And this means that we stay close to him. We stay by his side. We watch him, we listen for him, and we notice what he's doing and what he's up to. And then we respond to what he's doing by reflecting his image. Notice how in this walk we don't just shrug our shoulders and say, well, God's gonna handle everything. No, we, we do have a part to play, but it's meant to be a smaller part, a responsive part. So I want you to think about how, at least in theory, we like to train our dogs to walk beside us as human beings. And we saw a woman the other day and she was literally getting walked by her dog. The, dog. the dog was clearly bigger and stronger than her. It was dragging her wherever it wanted to go. And I'm sorry if this is your reality with your dog. Uh, maybe you can call the dog whisperer or something, I don't know. Um, but when you see a dog, a well-trained dog, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Maybe that's because it's actually pretty rare. But a well-trained dog listens and takes instructions from its owner. When the owner stops, the dog stops. When the owner moves forward, the dog moves forward. It listens, it responds, it walks in step with its owner. If it does go off into mischief and the owner calls its name, it comes running right back to the side of the owner. And this is how we are created to walk with God as human beings. Remember before sin entered the story in the garden, Adam was walking with God. If you, de- if you do a quick search on the word walk in the Bible, you'll get almost 350 results. And it's often talking about walking in this sense, how we conduct ourselves in relation to God So Paul is saying here in chapter four, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received or fully embrace the new walk you've been given from Jesus. Chapter one, the new position, that was the calling, the high calling of adoption into God's family. In chapter two, Paul briefly talked about our old walk, how we used to walk, And this describes how the rhythm that God intended for life or the walk that God established for us has been broken and distorted by us, our our inability or refusal to trust in God. So we'll just keep this slide up for a little bit, Adrian. We tend to think of sin as when we do bad things. And that is true that it does include that. 
But the root of all sin is actually much simpler than this. It's trusting in ourselves and not trusting in God. It's trusting in our finite, limited understanding instead of trusting in the infinite, unlimited understanding of our Creator. And this trust in ourselves is what separates us from God. It alienates us from Him. And so we live in this frame of sin. And, and inside this frame, it's just us and our responses to life. And in a way, this is uh, what the philosopher Charles Taylor calls the imminent frame. All that's before me is what's immediate and, and th- what the things I can see. That's all that there is. And this is a frame where God has actually been cut out of the story and all we're left with is us. And I think, I mean, we've all lived in this frame or we know people who live in this frame. Um, living life without reference to God. It's just me and my choices. And in this frame, we're actually cut off from God and trapped in this world of our own making. And this can spin out in a few ways. It can spin out into an atheist, materialist worldview, where really the material world is actually all there is. There's nothing spiritual, there's nothing transcendent. But it could also spin out into a religious worldview, because religion emphasizes human activity that's attempting to get us back to God. And all religion apart from Jesus is actually a human attempt to climb out of this frame. The irony of religion is that it's actually trusting in ourselves, which we already said is the foundation of sin. In Isaiah it says even our good works are like filthy rags. Man-made religion is actually sin because it's putting full trust in ourselves and our own efforts. And Jesus comes to set us free from all this. Jesus accepted his assignment from the Father and left the glory of heaven to come down and live among us and walk with us. Jesus does not live his life trapped inside the frame of sin or trust in self, like we all have. John 17, verse three, says this. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Eternal life is knowing God, or we could say eternal life is life outside the frame of sin, life outside trusting in ourselves. And outside, life outside this frame, it's not just an idea, it's not a theory or a list of do's and don'ts, it's actually a person, it's Jesus. And when we look at Jesus' life, we see that he lives within the rhythm that God intended humanity to live in. And that is a part of why he's so compelling. Because there's something deep in every human being that knows that we're made to walk with God but because we've trusted in ourselves so often, we've actually forgotten how. And Jesus came to show us the way back to the Father, the way to life outside the frame of sin. So how does Jesus walk? There's a lot of things we could say about this, but I wanna focus 
primarily on how we see this rhythm from Genesis, God initiating and Jesus responding. John 5, verse 19. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Right here, Jesus is telling us how he walks. Jesus just said he is completely and utterly dependent on God, the Father, and he does nothing apart from him. He submits and yields himself to the will of the Father, and this is exactly what Paul is describing at the beginning of Ephesians 4. Walking with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing things in love. You could say this another way. You could say, be like Jesus. These qualities, humility, gentleness, patience, they belong to Jesus, and they flow from being dependent on God and recognizing our deep need for him. Having these characteristics of Jesus formed in us doesn't happen quickly or easily. It happens as we surrender control of our lives and respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to create within us. And how did Jesus learn to walk in this way? In Hebrews 5, verse 8, it says this, Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. When Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done, he was surrendering trust in himself and yielding to the Father. And this process looked painful for Jesus. And part of that is because of the weight of what he was about to go through. But we see Jesus really wrestling here. He says, if there's any other way, God, I can't see if this is really the only way or not. So I submit myself to you, God. I yield myself to you because I trust you and I know you're good. Relinquishing our will and our trust in ourselves and putting our trust in the Father is not easy or automatic. And the process is also often painful for us. And this is the suffering that comes when we are really surrendering and yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is what it really looks like to walk with God. To walk in a manner worthy of the gift of Jesus. To walk in the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. It's a way of self-denial and suffering and daily picking up our cross and choosing to keep following after Jesus, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense. And I think this is at the heart of what it means to live a life worthy of the position and calling we've received in the first three chapters of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, Paul is identifying us with Christ's victory, with his throne, with this completely free gift of adoption that we didn't earn for ourselves in any way. But then beyond adoption, there's a call on our lives to actually become like Jesus. In some sense, salvation and adoption are the easy part because God's done the heavy lifting. He's done all the work to achieve 
this status for us through Jesus. But becoming like Jesus requires our cooperation with the Holy Spirit, yielding and surrendering to the initiating work of Jesus in our lives. It's all about responding to him and what he's doing and what he wants to do in us. And God can't actually yield our wills for us, or at least he seems determined not to. He seems like he wants to give us a choice and an option. And so the idea of there being an easy road to becoming like Jesus is a lie, and it's actually the oldest lie. It's the very first lie. In the garden, you'll remember, there was this opportunity to walk the long and difficult road with God and slowly become like him over time. But we said, no, I'll take the easy way. I'm gonna get the fruit myself. But Jesus didn't take the fruit. He took the long road of obedience, and he calls us to follow him. The easy road belongs to the devil. The narrow and difficult road is the road of Jesus. Adoption, the salvation that we have, comes to us at such a high price. The Father sacrificed his Son. Jesus set aside his glory and gave up his life for us. I think being a father has made this truth hit me in a new way. And if you're a parent this morning, you understand. The Father giving up his Son, it's such a high price, it's such a sacrifice. And if we really understand the cost of this, the forgiveness that we've received through this, the only sane response is to offer up our lives in return. Paul is saying, don't take this amazing gift for granted. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. How do we live worthy? Jesus asks us to come and die to ourselves if we actually want to follow him. To let our will die and let him resurrect it and join it with his. So there's no getting out of bearing our cross and dying to ourselves in order to learn this walk of dependence on the Father. And this isn't about striving or trying harder. That would be putting more trust in ourselves and our own efforts. This is about surrendering and yielding to the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's about becoming like a dependent child who can do nothing without help. That's the walk of Jesus. And that's the walk that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants to recreate in us with our agreement and cooperation. And this is not a popular message. (laughs) Our world says, indulge yourself, treat yourself, you deserve it. And Jesus says, deny yourself. If you want to find your life, you give it up for, for his sake. And there's at least two ways that I actually see this message as extremely hopeful. And the first is that we can actually find rest for our souls. In Hebrews it says that unbelief is what stops us from entering God's rest. Or we could say mistrust, or trust put in the wrong place is what makes us so restless and anxious. It is exhausting to trust in yourself. It slowly eats away at our bodies 
because we're carrying things that we were never meant to carry. You don't have to depend on yourself. You can actually depend on God and enter his rest. And Jesus is our model for that. The second hopeful piece of this message is that as we suffer in letting go of our will, new life and new dimensions of Jesus are actually being formed and revealed in us. As suffering reveals pride or self-reliance or overconfidence in ourselves, there's now an opportunity for us to move toward a life of greater dependence on the Holy Spirit. And if we agree with Jesus and we let these things die with him on the cross, then he begins to resurrect in us new traits, his traits, humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. And the trick to all of this is that we have to actually trust that Jesus is good and that he loves us and wants what is truly best for us. This is the only way to truly deny ourselves with the frequency that Jesus demands. What enables us to deny ourselves is our awareness that Jesus is good. He actually knows what we need better than we do. And he's using our circumstances to shape us more and more into his image. We can bring him our outrage and our discomfort with the process because we know he cares and he listens. But ultimately we can submit our ideas about what we need to the authority of the Holy Spirit because he sees the big picture in a way that we never will. A.W. Tozer said this really well when he said, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Now I believe this kind of transformation through suffering only comes as we encounter Jesus being near to us and standing with us in whatever we're going through. When we believe that he's literally walking with us through whatever we suffer, Jesus calls out to us by name in the midst of challenging circumstances. And it's not that Jesus is actually closer to us when we suffer, it's that suffering can lead us to soften our hearts and open up to his help and his presence in new ways. You see this all the time in the Gospels. Suffering draws people to Jesus. People need healing. They need help. They need Jesus, and they know they need him. Need is what draws us to Jesus. And when we encounter him, his presence and his love for us changes us and transforms us from the inside out. So the new walk we've been talking about this morning is the walk of Jesus. It's the way of the cross. It is a walk of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Setting aside your right to trust in yourself and depend on yourself. It's a walk of trusting in Jesus and not in yourself. It's giving him time and space to initiate something in your life and then faithfully responding to him.
And this walk can feel extremely difficult. Really waiting on God's timing can be a trial. Sometimes we're surprised by what comes out of us when life really forces us to wait on God. Often it looks a lot like what Paul lists at the end of Ephesians 4. Do you remember? Bitterness, anger, harshness, wrath. And I want to talk about bitterness for just a moment. Bitterness is what happens to us when we've opened up to trust outside of ourselves and we've been hurt or we've been let down. When we've trusted beyond ourselves but we've been harmed in some way. And bitterness is a heart that says, I cannot trust. I will only rely on myself and no one else. Bitterness starts as a shield for wounds. And it might stop the wound from being touched again, but it also stops the wound from being healed. Bitterness begins as something that's protecting us, but it becomes something that can destroy us because it forces us to take on the role of God in our own lives, and we were never made for that. And Jesus is not surprised when these things come up in our lives the same way that we are. He already knows our hearts, and he's allowing these things to come up so he can remove them because they don't belong. And so this is the messy walk of new life in Jesus. It's the lowly, humbling walk of true dependence on God. And this walk depends on regularly encountering the presence of Jesus and being transformed by his love. And with that, we're gonna shift into a time of response this morning. Um, And I wanna read to you again from Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. But this time I'm reading from the First Nations version because I really like the way that they have captured the, the essence of what Paul is saying at the end of chapter four here. So we'll keep this up as we reflect. Um, but this is what it says. Let creator pull the bitter roots from your heart for they feed the rage and anger that takes you down a path of fighting, hurting, and speaking evil of your fellow human beings. Instead, show goodwill and kindness to others by releasing them from the things they have done wrong. For this is what the Great Spirit, through the Chosen One, Jesus, has done for you. When you came in this morning, you received an image of a crown and a pen. Um, And we're gonna do something this morning that's pretty similar to what we did on Christ the King Sunday. Um, The invitation this morning for you is to think of an area or areas perhaps of your life where you have been putting your trust in yourself. And then ask the Holy Spirit, just explore Is there a possibility that this trust in yourself is connected to some bitterness, to some hurt that you're struggling to let go of? Jesus wants to heal that this morning. You're welcome to write these things down or you can just meditate on them quietly. This is between you and Jesus. 
But don't let this moment pass by. When you're ready, we invite you to come up to the cross and lay down your crown. Lay down your trust in yourself and put your trust again in the crucified king who loves you and calls you by name from the cross. And may we all leave this morning in greater dependence on the one who loves us, the one who is guiding us and shaping us into the people that we were always meant to be. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. And while they play this last song, or second last song, we'll, we'll engage in this reflection activity. Let me pray while they come up. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your life. We give you thanks for your humility, for your humble obedience and dependence to the Father. Lord, that even when it didn't make sense to you, you submitted your will to God. And for that reason, we can enter the presence of the Father without shame, without guilt, all because of your sacrifice, Jesus. Lord, you have done so many great things. And Lord, we wanna walk in the, in the walk that you're calling us to this morning. We wanna follow you. We don't just wanna be identified with your victory and your throne. We wanna be identified with your cross. And so Lord, if there are things within us this morning, would you speak to each heart? Would you reveal things to us by your Holy Spirit? Things that we need to let go of. Would we unclench our fists so that we can receive your healing, Lord? Jesus, we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.